is what mm-hmm. I say to you. Oh, 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 yes, oh, I approve of that. Do you want to do an introduction? Hoi. Ooh. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your host, Miss... And Kevin, your friendly neighborhood queers. Let's dive. Well, shit, how y'all doing? Oh, we're doing just fine. Oh, 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 Kevin, please read again mm-hmm. for the audience your scream order of preference. Okay. For the scream movies. And, and all, all, all five? Or... All five. All five. Okay. For me, I prefer Scream mm-hmm. 1, the original, mm-hmm. Scream 2. Mm-hmm. Scream five, mm-hmm. and then scream three, and then scream four. So, yeah, here's where you and I are gonna get upset. Uh oh. Because guess who finished all five? <gasps> Did you? You finished? Wait, what? All five. <laughs> I finished. I finished um, one through four last Sunday because uh-huh. I wasn't gonna watch five without you. But then I was like, well, uh-huh. Kevin watched it without me. And I was like, and that's fine. And I, and then it was like Monday night and I was like, I just really, like, I had gotten, I had binged them all. So, like, I'd watched the second half of one through the end of four <laughs> in, like, mm, a okay. day and a half. So, like, I just was really into it. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch it. And I did. And it was lovely. So here is the correct order. Are you ready? Wow. Hot takes. Are we ready? I'm ready. This is going to be... Is this controversial? Are we about to not fight? really. No, probably not. Okay. We've seen worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the best is number one. Mm-hmm. Fo- mm-hmm. Followed by number two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Followed by number five. Mm-hmm. 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 Followed by number four. Followed oh, okay. by number yeah. three. And Followed if there could three. be a lower place that I could put number three, I would put it there. <laughs> it wasn't just I liked it the least out of the five. It's like it was just objectionally horrible. It I was hated it. not a great film. I know. But I, I tell you why I prefer. Do you know what? Do you know what wasn't? What? Number four. Mm-hmm. Number four was fine. It was and you, fine. You've been talking I will, no, shit no, no. for a decade about how bad it was. I will say, for Scream 4, Anthony Anderson's death scene, mm-hmm. <laughs> unacceptable. Unacceptable. And I'm waving uh-huh. my finger at you right now as if you're like... Okay, as if I directed it. I know, as if you are Wes. How did he die? I don't remember. 
So he was one of the cops. And the killer came up and stabbed him right through the forehead. Oh, he, yeah. In the car. He gets out of the car uh-huh. uh, with oh. a knife in there, tries yeah. to hit like tries to walk a few, and then just goes, fuck Bruce Willis. And then he, like, collapses. Why did he say fuck Bruce Willis? With a whole knife in your brain. That was a stretch Oh. The imagination. Okay. And of logic. It was fine. It was fine. I, there's, there what did was you think about the killers? Were you expecting those? Yeah. For what? Number four or five? For four. For four. I, so this is what I don't understand. Did we watch Scream 4 together or not? There's never been a consensus, has there? No, we never watched four together. I didn't think so because I was watching it and I was like, I really, I was like, I know Kevin really doesn't like this, but did I really block out the entire movie? Because, like, even for the first three, I, like, it was all very familiar. But, no, I did not watch it. But, yes, I did. I I was, yeah, I guess it was. It was good. I liked it. I, I yeah. I mean. Yeah. And, and I, again, I want to say I, I have three as my penultimate uh-huh. Over yeah. four right. because of Courtney Cox's bangs. That reminds me, there was a band that we went to go see. I think I went to go see it with you at the 930 Club when we were in high school or college. And one of the bands was um, Natalie Portman's Shaved Head. Yeah. Yep. I do remember that. <laughs> Did they open for Lily Allen? Yes. <laughs> Courtney Cox's bangs can be a, another yeah. band name. So I love Courtney Cox's bangs. Yeah. They are Iconic. Iconic. She doesn't look great with them. At how awful they are. Yes, thank you. Um, yes. And I say that as someone who's generally supportive of a baby bang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an atrocity. Like, <laughs> her bangs are basically, like the same thing as the overall arch of the movie. Like it's the same impact. They're both just so bad. One is an allegory for the other. Mm-hmm. And one but, can't exist without the other. Yes. And it's just like, from the beginning, I was like, I was like, what is this? I was like, is this a ghost or is she supposed to be hallucinating? And mm-hmm. then I was like, I was like, either way, it, it was so bad. I was so mad that I was so into finishing it because otherwise I would have just turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you powered through actually. Cause it's, it's not really like it's a bad movie. It. It's a good movie. It's a good movie for wrong reasons. Come Parker Posey. Come on now. Oh yeah. No, I know. I, I would, I would absolutely watch it again. It's a movie I would watch mm-hmm. because of how bad it is. And Parker yes. Posey, who, you know, I'd watch her do anything. Always have, always will. Yes. <laughs> so that's not as controversial of a take. Um, and I'm glad to hear that because I was really ready okay. to throw down. What did you think I and was going to I, I thought you were going to be like, I... Number three is the best. Finally saw four <laughs> and I'm putting it at the top. <laughs> <laughs> no, four was just a fine sequel. It was fine. Four was fine. Yeah, but it wasn't bad. I wouldn't say four was bad. No. Three was bad. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was supposed to kind of relaunch the new franchise, and they were supposed to do another trilogy if things went well. And Why didn't they? Because it did poorly. It didn't. It did poorly, and so like the the movies never uh, material materialized after that. And um, <laughs> what octave uh, was that? <laughs> Just got real high. <laughs> did it? Did it get a little high? Well, I'm I'm glad that we are still friends because good, I don't good, know how too. I would have handled. Truly, I wasn't expecting to like hop on a, a recording of a podcast and then lose my friendship. End our friendship, so, yeah. <laughs> end of the friendship franchise. <laughs> Speaking of franchise, guess what, what I franchise? started watching because I got really into like watching a movie series. I started uh-huh. Guess what I started watching? Final Destination. Oh, yeah. Um yeah. So, when's the last time you saw the first one? Um probably 2002, I'd say. Okay. It's been a while. Can I charge you with a task? Sure. Can can I task you with watching the first Final Destination so we can talk about it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll have it done, and then we'll talk about it next, next week. Yeah, I'll reserve judgment then. Okay. Until, until then. Because there are definite things that I remember about the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I like scenes so and too. stuff. I thought oh. so, too. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But your memory for movies is well, better, here, so you might actually remember. Uh, yeah, time will tell. We will. We're gonna find out. Say la vie. But like, bitch, look at us. Episode yeah. twenty-one. We're here. We made it. We can have an alcoholic. We're drink. here. Yeah. We can we're order queer. some booze. We're here. We're queer. We're be- ordering beer. Oh. <gasps> Oh, yes. Yeah, so we are in episode 21, and it's been a fun journey so far, thus far. And 21? More like 20 fun. Yeah, are you bringing fun or not fun today? It's more fun than not fun. It's more, I mean, it's okay. not fun. It's not fun at all. But parts of it are dumb yes. and funny. And nobody dies, so better than normal. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Nobody dies. Yeah. So. Well, that's good because some people, well, people, there are deaths in my my story. In your story. So we'll balance each other out. All right. So anything new with you, though? Uh, in my life, anything new? I mean, I can't mm-hmm. say. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, um... Over the weekend, Ben and I went out with some of our friends, and mm-hmm. there was a pinball tournament <laughs> that was, was happening there. at this bar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, we went to this pinball. Uh, it was a very low stakes pinball competition. It was actually, you know, like a bar restaurant, and there I were like can... 20 pinball machines. What? Where did they get and them? And they were. They're just like rented? I th- well, a lot of them are already there in the, the oh. bar, but okay. I think they actually brought more in. 
for this well, tournament. Well, I mean, if you're going to have a tournament, you got to be prepared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people there too. And it turns out I'm shit at pinball. <laughs> and I've just tried playing on like five or six different pinball games. And I'm like, shit no, at no, 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 all no, no, no. It's the machine. I assure you. Adam's Family Pinball, bad. Elvira Pinball, <laughs> bad. Old classic-y kind that I think was called Old Chicago, bad. So I'm just <laughs> not great. Oh, that's okay. You have a lot of other great skills, though. I do. I have other great skills. Yeah, you don't so need to take that. Pinball. Yeah, take that pinball. pinball, you stupid, useless thing. <laughs> How was your week? What did you get up to? Mm, what did I get up to? Hmm. I I went on a date on Saturday. Uh, All Saturday right. Af- Saturday afternoon. Um, cool. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Look at you. Yeah, that was getting out there. Fine. You're not better than me. Nope. What? I just really am interested in like an arranged marriage at this point in my life. I was telling my sister. I think that's where I'm at. That's probably where you're going to stay Like I told her, I can learn to love someone if it's arranged. Uh We won't know each other. If it's arranged. We We have to become friends. And then, you know, we fall in love with the life that we build together. So that's what I'm looking for. That's, uh, that's, well, are, yeah. So you're looking for an arranged marriage, huh? Hmm. Um, not well, like actually, but yeah. No, I think that's a binding thing. Right? <laughs> but, uh, did I just think, um, I'm actually going to have to disagree with you. No, sir. A binding contract has not been made. Also a contract for marriage must be in writing to be enforceable. So no. Blah, blah, blah. All this legalese. You know, I don't know how to read. Yeah, that's true. Or comprehend what you just said. Fair. That's true. You are quite an idiot. I'm just kidding. (laughs) As far as idiots go, you're quite one. Well, babe, Hmm. you know what we're doing right now? We're doing a podcast. Are we? What is that about? Do you want to get into this week's stories, perhaps? Yes. Let's boogie. Are you ready? Let us boogie. All right. Well, uh, it's it is your week for true crime. <clears throat> yes, it is. Are you ready to true crime? Um. So you were saying earlier that your true crime story <laughs> is more fun than not fun, and people don't die in it. It's it's fun in that people don't die. Nothing about it is fun. Oh, um, nothing about it is fun. Nobody's having a good time, okay? Um, but there are really uh, big stupid idiots in it, and that's fun. Uh-huh. I love um, a good big stupid idiot. <laughs> big stupid idiot. <laughs> um, there's some. Uh, there's a. There's a few of those, and you know, there's a hero which we love, and oh. and I just you know nobody died. I did the, you know, last week, last week we did what, or the last true crime I did was the, the mad butcher of Kingsbury run. So I thought maybe we we could take, thought maybe we could take it down a notch this time. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad. Lay it on me like a lead bib at the dentist. Yes. I was trying to think of a, like another one on the spot, but I can't be as oh. funny as Kristen Wiig. So, damn. Really? Are you sure? Yeah, I guess I guess that's the case. I think I disagree with you, but we'll we'll wait till the end of the episode to really see. Okay. All right. The aerial search is already underway. There are about 400 reporters, one for every 10 people in the whole town. The Salvation Army has brought a food truck up from San Francisco. Pac Bell has bought has brought 60 phones for the press and operators. Parents kept an all-night vigil at the police station. It is the largest kidnapping ever in the United States. Oh. Mm -hmm. That is a quote from a Vox.com article by Caleb Horton, which was my main source um, Mm -hmm. for this week. Uh, On July 16th, 1976, an FBI press conference was held announcing that they were assisting in an ongoing investigation in the inland farming town of Chowchilla, California, 150 miles southeast from San Francisco. While little information was known up to that point, this is what was known. A bus driving 26 Dairyland Elementary School students aged 5 to 14 home from a summer class trip to the Chowchilla Fairground swimming pool had been missing since 4.15 the prior afternoon. A couple hours after it went missing, the bus was found by a police sergeant, empty, devoid of clues. There were no leads and there was nothing to go off of. 27 people simply vanished in what would become one of America's most notorious kidnappings. I am intrigued to say the least. I I, I think I've heard of this particular story. Like, I think it's only ringing the slightest of a bell. This has actually been in the news recently. Yeah. And you'll find, you'll find out why. So this is the Chowchilla bus kidnappings. All right. So good. You've never heard of it? Oh, I'm so excited to tell you. Yeah. Okay. 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 I thought because it was in the news, everybody would be like, oh, everybody knows about this. But I think I'm the only one (laughs) reading the news, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your damn story. (laughs) (laughs) So Frank Edward Ed Ray was a local rancher and he also drove the bus for the summer school program. On July 15th, Ed had picked up 26 children from the pool and was driving them home on the route. When the bus was 15 minutes late, parents started to worry. Ed was reliable. One witness said, quote, you could set your watch by Ed, end quote. He was described as a guy you don't want to get in a fight with. He works with his hands and he knows his way around bailing hay. He doesn't talk much, but the kids adored him. Ed had just dropped off a brother and sister and was driving down Avenue 21 when he noticed a white van was stopped in the middle of the road. As Ed attempted to drive around the van, a man in overalls and pantyhose over his head jumped out of the van directly in front of the bus, waving a revolver in his hand. So Ed, thinking of the 26 children, didn't want to cause any trouble, and so he stopped the bus. 
Then the man then came up to the door and calmly said, quote, would you open the door, please? End quote. As Ed went to open the door, two more armed overall and pantyhose clad men jumped out of the van and stormed the bus, one with a rifle pointed directly at Ed. The kids had all moved to the back of the bus. Well, one went, one man went back to the van, one man went to drive the bus, and one kept the gun on Ray. The 27 kidnapped victims were then only driven about a mile away when they were all made to get out. From Caleb Horton at Box.com, quote, nobody's yelling. It's so calm, it's violent. 12 kids are ushered into the white van. Ray and the other 14 kids get into the back of a second one, a second van, this one green, end quote. Wow. The kidnappers had constructed makeshift jail cells. The in, they installed wood paneling over the windows and painted over the windows. No one could see out or in. There was no air, no food, no water, no ventilation, and no toilets. And even though they were stuck in this in these vans with where the windows were sealed, the kids tried to stay upbeat. And so mm-hmm. uh, they sang songs to stay cheerful, like if you're happy and you know it, and boogie fever and get down tonight. <laughs> Please remember it is 1976 and it's not their fault. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 1976. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Meantime, back in Chowchilla, panic had set in, and the story of the missing bus was on local news stations by 5 p.m., and it was on the national news by 11. By 6.30, the sheriff's department had a plane in the air. People started driving all over the county looking for the bus. Ronnie, who was Ray's nephew, formed his own little search party. They went out in a Jeep with no top, driving through orchards and spots with spotlights looking for anything at all. And I think it's really important to note here where they are in California. Um, They are basically in the middle of the state, which is all farms and orchards and ranches as far as the eye can see. This is not like what you think of when you think California. This is not San Francisco. Mm -hmm. This is not Los Angeles. This is, Basically the same thing you would find anywhere else in the middle of the country um, with the same kind of people who live there too. So Mm -hmm. when they're going Mm -hmm. out in the Jeep, like there's no, there's not enough people and there's not enough information at the moment to like organize search parties. So people just are doing it themselves because they're part of the the community and they know these people Mm -hmm. they know all of these kids like they said at one point like every person in the town knew somebody on that bus like personally so high stakes high stakes small town (laughs) yeah Ooh, that's the name of the book (laughs) (laughs) the public vigil started that first night there was an uncharacteristic storm that first night. Mm-hmm. So parents gathered in public buildings to hold the vigil. It was like a huge thunderstorm. And the night of the kidnapping, a lightning strike took out electricity to a lot of the town. So on top of everything, it was dark. Parents lit candles and played board games with their kids and tried to assure them that it was going to be all right. This is a quote, but kids are perceptive. They know when you're lying more often than you think, end quote. 
So special services were held across town. President Gerald Ford gives all law enforcement agencies um, a blank check to look for the kids. And then Mm -hmm. California Governor Jerry Brown does the same. And then every white van or discarded shoe in California has, you know, merits calling the police. And then the FBI ends up booking every room in the towns to motels so they can't hide out there, the kidnappers, or whoever. They don't even know what's going on yet. So so soon reporters and TV crews are descending and flashbobs are going off constantly. And mm-hmm. then on top of everything, the rumors are starting and they're becoming, small rumors are becoming big lies, says the Vox article. And then, so some of the rumors are, was it Revenge on the Town by San Quentin, International Terrorists, Aliens, The Zodiac? How about um, all of them? Yeah, no, all of them are good options in my book. Um, That'd be like a Marvel movie for the ages. Seriously. Unfortunately, they literally, they gained apps. They had no information that night. So they were just in the same spot they had been when they realized the bus was missing. Wow. By 3.30 in the morning, the kidnappers had been driving Ed and the kids around for 11 straight hours. No stopping, no bathroom breaks, no food, no water for 11 hours. Poor kids. And these were mostly little kids. Like the oldest was 14 oh, and the God, second the trauma they must have experienced. Oh yeah. And then the second oldest was a 10-year-old. So everyone else was under 10 years old. It's so like uh. it's so scary. After 11 hours the vans finally came to a stop and the back doors were opened. Ed was ordered out first. One kidnapper asked for his name. Another one makes him take his pants off and his boots. And then he's handed a flashlight and told to go down a hole with a ladder in it. At the vans, roll call is being taken for the children and their names are being written on an old jack-in-the-box bag. And they're stripped and sent to join Ed one by one. They soon learn they were inside an old tractor trailer, like an old um, 18-wheeler, 12 feet Uh underground. (laughs) 12 feet underground. Inside the hole, they found... Oh, that is uh, a nightmare. Yeah, like 12 feet underground. It's literally, I can't imagine like something else that would be like my my personal worst nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Not to make it, Mine not, too. Not to, make, not to make it about me, but no thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no thank you. Sorry, no, I'm good. <laughs> I had that for breakfast. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 fresh out. I don't what if I don't want to go in the hole? Um because at this point, yeah, like it's I, great though. Good work, but good digging, you guys. Wow. <laughs> had to get uh-huh. it down there. Um, but even as a child, I was not one to listen, even when it could have been dangerous. And I imagine by this point I would be no. having a, like a full shut up, like a full blown uh like panic attack by this point. Um I just want everyone to know I'm your worst option for a kidnap victim. Just choose anyone else. Oh yeah. I'm I'm gonna make you regret it. 
Immediately. Bitch has seen too many stories retold on, (laughs) you know, true crime documentaries and whatever. (laughs) She knows Uh, how to endure, but also thrive. Yes, Yes, and I know how to annoy. (laughs) Joke's on you, motherfuckers. Yeah, seriously. Okay. Inside the hole, they found containers filled with water, boxes of cereal, peanut butter, loaves of bread, and a few mattresses. The kidnappers had also made toilets out of the wheel wells and outfitted the uh, trailer with two ventilation pipes that went up to the surface. Uh, Once everybody was in, a steel plate was placed over the entrance hole and weighted down by two 100-pound tractor batteries fully entombing the 27 victims 12 feet underground. Fuck that noise. Miss, what are you doing to me? Remember when I said it wasn't fun? Oh, I thought you were kidding. (laughs) But you thought it was going to be fun? (laughs) There's only so many grandpa bank robbers, Kevin. (laughs) Oh, miss. (laughs) Um... But I, like I said, nobody dies physically. Physically, I'm but here we are, a bunch of dead or a bunch of kids down underground, uh, Kimmy Schmidt style. Legit with less light because they only had the one flashlight that was given to a. Ed. And they don't have any crank either down there to crank. No, no, no crank, no song. Crank no you crank. for being a crank. Yeah, crank. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Anyway, um, no crank, no songs. It was just 26 kids mm, and this one shame. man. Yeah. Above ground, uh, the Madeira County Sheriff, Ed Bates, was on the case as the FBI got to town. And, uh, quote, it was a cowboy town, cowboy sheriff, and everything. That means the hat, bootcut jeans, western jacket, bolo tie, and a 45 mm. long colt on his hip. Uh, everyone had a story about Ed Bates and they all had the same theme you did not fuck with Ed Bates when word traveled to him about Ed Ray's bus gone missing he was ready and he had to figure out who would kidnap 26 kids and their bus driver on the way home from the pool and in this tiny sleepy town Mm. who And, 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 and why and how who and how and when? which and what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's switch gears. Frederick Newhall Woods IV was 24 in 1976. And thanks to generational wealth on both sides, he was loaded. His mother's family started the Newhall Land and Farming Company in 1883. And it was making $80 million a year in 1976. That's $370 million a year today. Shit. So, yeah. So Fred Four has a trust fund of $100 million. Uh, he's a loner. And he only cares about cars, of which he has 50 littered around his parents' 79-acre estate. Uh, uh. In 1976, Fred IV was living in a garage apartment on the estate. Fred was bored, and he really liked the movie Dirty Harry. Did you know 
In Dirty Harry, there's a storyline where a guy called Scorpio hijacks a school bus in the Bay Area, asks for ransom and a flight out of Santa Rosa before fleeing to a quarry and holding a kid at gunpoint. L-O-L-O-L-O-L. Uh huh. Yeah. Fred had a business buying, selling, and repairing old cars with his friend Jim Schoenfeld. Jim and his younger brother Rick uh, are Fred the Fourth's only friends, um, and they are disgustingly wealthy as well. Fred has another business with acquaintance, uh, an aspiring filmmaker, David Boston where his hope is to be able to flip junker cars uh, Mm -hmm. to finance David's film projects. Before 1976, Fred writes a letter to David explaining that he has an idea, and he thinks this idea would make a good movie. He wants to pull off his own heist, just like Dirty Harry. Fred also starts talking about his big, great idea with dumb shits Jim and Rick, and the kidnapping idea forms. Um, also, David is not at all involved in the kidnapping, from what I could tell. It's really just uh-huh. the three of them. Um, but yeah, at some point, they assign roles to each other. Fred Four is Those obviously the fuckers. leader. Yeah. Fred Four is obviously the leader. Jim is the planner because he obsessively wrote everything down in notebooks. That was literally the reason that was given. Um, and Rick was just there for the ride. But what could a group of shitheads who were richer than God even want? Well, they didn't think their cars were fancy enough and they wanted more. They really just wanted to buy Ferraris, literally Ferraris. They wanted Mm, government money. Fun for them. Mm -hmm. They wanted the government money because in 1974, Governor Ronald Reagan had announced a $5 billion budget surplus in California from Jim. I kept thinking, you know, the state's got more money than it needs. They won't miss 5 million. So I thought, is there a way to get this money? Is there some way that I could get a lot of money to solve all my problems? The only thing I could think of was a kidnapping. The logic is that they'd need multiple victims for multiple millions. And the plan started. And it turns out Fred four, at least, uh, was in a lot of debt and owed mommy and daddy a lot of money from the money they loaned him to start his super great businesses. So he's in debt to his mm-hmm. parents. Yes. And he has like 50 cars lying around. Yes. Okay. Kevin, he I, wants more yeah. things. Mm, okay. Yes. He's not going to like, he's not going to like sell his cars to get, another car he wants his cars and he wants the fucking ferrari okay okay don't act like he doesn't deserve it my baby boy <laughs> Just kidding. my baby's the fourth jim's notebooks were found later and this was the plan sort of they needed a bus a plane and three vans one to get Fred and Rick to Chowchilla for the hijacking, and two more at a hidden location to transport the kids from the bus to the hidden location. They need to buy an x-ray machine, and they do from a Navy surplus disposal station in Alameda in case the ransom money is bugged. They make homemade bulletproof vest with scrap metal. 
Fred Four rents a trailer in Reno for as a safe house and gets a passport under the fake name Ralph Snyder. It's like and Snyder with mm. an I. S N I D E R. Like it's not even a real name. It's fine. I'm sure it's a real name. I'm sorry <laughs> if I offended you. But he also buys a printing calculator to count his money. Mm. Uh, Rick and Fred Four will board the bus. Rick will disable the driver with chloroform and Fred will drive the bus to the hidden location where Fred keeps an eye on the bus. Rick will escort the kids two by two to the vans where Jim is waiting. Watch for the kids making a run for it. Count the kids with a lot of exclamation points. Mm-hmm. Next, conceal the How kids. How many Hide- exclamation points? You can't just say many. So I don't know because I don't have the article up, but I put mm. three... Um, I, I cannot say how many there were in the original document. I apologize. Uh, next <laughs> conceal the kids, hide the vans, go somewhere else to collect the money from there. Rick will get a plane to take Jim to small uncontrolled airport. They will meet Fred for who will hijack the plane. I mm-hmm. guess he, I, I'm assuming that's never mentioned that anyone knows how to fly a plane. I just want to throw that out there. Um, Jim would be in charge of taking possession of the money, which they think is going to come from a state employed secretary who will be appointed to bring the money. Um, and they will request to be brought in three brown paper parcels. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sexier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> P.S. This is just the note. Still ask for used bills. Don't spend money for seven years. Get a microwave oven to foul bugging devices. Melt all plastic. And then, quote, pick up money using an illusion like magic, end quote. Hmm. Okay. So how do you think they could do that? I mean, like using magic, do you think? Do you think they have enough power? Have they manifested enough? So I think this is America and anyone can be anyone. True. And so therefore, to me, they can be magicians, and this could be magic. You didn't think I was going to go that way, did you? That's great. Okay. I I didn't think you were going to go that way, but I'm really pleased that you did. They decide on $5 million for the ransom because it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the $5 billion surplus, which they will get delivered to a drop site in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And they really thought it'd be easy and that they'd pull it off the, quote, perfect crime. Thank the universe. They were fucking idiots. They spend months coming up with this perfect plan, but they decided that they were ready to go by December 1975. From Jim's journal in December 1975, quote, the exorcist is making me question my sanity and making me afraid of Satan, end quote. On New Year's on New Year's Eve, he writes about his impatience and laziness and being a doormat to Fred Four. He feels he's becoming immoral. And then I just wrote in my notes, this will be good. <laughs> the kidnappers want to start the next phase of the plan at this point after they've gotten everybody down into the essentially the bunker um, and they've put the batteries on top of the steel plate. So they want to call in the ransom demand. But as soon as the kidnapping hit the news, people were calling in false tips like crazy 
Quote, we only had one phone line going into what we called an office in Chowchilla. I had raised all Billy hell with supervisor of the district. As soon as these people kidnapped the children, every line was busy. So I called the FBI and I told them. Next thing I know, I got 50 FBI agents down there. They called the telephone company and put up 30 or 40 phones, recalled Sheriff Ed Bates in 2020. Even still, with the, with the FBI and the phones, the lines were still jammed and they stayed that way. But everybody kept searching. But what's a kidnapper to do when he can't call in his ransom demand? Uh, I don't know. He takes a little nap. Oh. All of them. All of them did. All three? All three of them. That is the cutest little thing I've ever heard. It really is. It's basically nap time <laughs> at the daycare. Because um, let's not remember, these are all just little little boy kidnappers, right? They're just 24 and 22 years old. So they're just little babies. They don't know no No, better. no, nothing. By this point, over 100 volunteers and others from other law enforcement agencies mm -hmm. started arriving in town. They had a horse unit that rescued people from the mountains. They had a four-wheel drive unit. They had a snow unit. They had uh, ham radio operators. They all swarmed Chowchilla, offering any assistance they could. Groups of people walked the entire bus route, picking up anything that could even possibly be evidence, but in the end, none of it was. Late into the night, the kidnapped children's parents and some good Samaritans all gathered at the firehouse. Uh -huh. Sheriff, Sheriff Bates called the jail to bring in bologna sandwiches, which was the only thing they had. And the fire department passed out coffee and the churches donated entirely too many desserts. That was a quote. <laughs> um, quote, let me tell you something. No one is going to try and get away with hurting 26 children and a bus driver. Where are they going to hide them? Where are they going to put them? They have to take care of them somehow. If you had a herd of ducks, you'd have to keep them somewhere. Whoever did this doesn't want to hurt your children. They want money and you haven't got any money. They're going to ask the government to provide it. Nobody else has money like that, end quote. And that was Sheriff um, Ed Bates talking to everyone once they had gathered together and had some treats like coffee and bologna oh. sandwiches. Gross. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, but, but coffee and desserts is very nice. And if you're hungry, a bologna sandwich will do you. <laughs> coffee and bologna. You don't have them together. You eat the bologna, you have a bite Oof. of the dessert, then you have a coffee. I see. Listen, they were trying. They were being nice. It was 1976. <laughs> All right. A hundred miles away, Ed and the kids had been half naked in the dark in sweltering heat, 12 feet underground for 15 hours, and they were losing hope. The ceiling of their buried prison begins to cave in, and Ed's mm. nearly in tears. But Ed oh isn't a quitter. I know. I know. He's in there with 26 little kids. This is a 55-year-old... Um, rancher who like these kids love but i don't <laughs> i mean he's just a guy he's not like yeah <laughs> how's he gonna save Ugh. 26 children but he's the only adult the only the the oldest person there besides him is 14 oh my god <sighs> okay but ed isn't a quitter and he gets himself together and he and he and two of the older kids devise a little plan of their own 
Somehow, they find the strength to stack the mattresses to get them closer to the top of the 18-wheeler. It took them five hours. The entire time, they had to keep stopping to pour some of the very limited water they had over their heads to keep them from overheating and passing out. Quote, me and a couple of the older kids figured the only way out was the way we came in, but we didn't have no ladder. We stacked up those mattresses and box springs to reach the hole. They put a piece of the plywood over the hole. We tried to push it off. It was too heavy, but we could tell there was some dirt showing around the edges, end quote. That was uh, Ed Ray. <laughs> I mean, they did all that. And then, like, meanwhile, they're, like, running out of air. Um, like, some of the kids are having trouble breathing at this point. They they had those two, like, vents or whatever, but, like, there was not enough air for 27 people down there. So they were desperate. So Ed Ray and then the two older boys used all the energy they had left, and they uh-huh. removed the weighted metal plate, entombing them, and pushed away the tractor batteries that were on top. I don't know how. I don't understand how that happened. But they remove wooden slats from the bed springs um, on the mattresses and attempt to pry up an opening. It does not go well. Not for a while. Quote, Ed Ray is a burly guy. He's worked his whole life on a ranch and he bucked his fair share of 160 pound hay bales. But still, it seems impossible. He lies on his back and pushes at it with his legs. Another hour goes by. Mike and Robert, the kids helping him, keep heaving, sweating too hard to think about dying. They're just pushing. Ed's shining a flashlight on them. Then Mike sees the steel plate budge, just a little, maybe a half inch, a thin blue line of light, starlight, end quote. Mm. Mm. I know. A nightmare. I I know. But, but... It's turning around. It was 8 p.m. on July 16th when Ed, Mike, and Robert managed to get every single person out of the underground prison. Ed was still worried the kidnappers were nearby waiting to take them out. Nonetheless, he and Robert and Mike led all 27 people out. Um, And so Ed led 26 kids down a dirt road in his underwear. Most of them were half naked and not wearing shoes. Nearby, a quarry employee was finishing up a welding job when he saw a bunch of kids walking on the job site. He hit an alarm button, assuming they were trespassers. But Ed only had to yell, we're the ones from Chowchilla, before the employees rushed to help. They gave Ed a Pepsi and some overalls. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out they were at a quarry in Livermore, California, 100 miles away from Chowchilla. And could you just guess who the owner of the quarry was? Um, you know, I have a guess. Part of me wants to say Mr. Frederick has something to do with this. Mm. Little Freddie. That'd be a little that'd be a real astute guess there, Kev. <gasps> so, Am I right? You are. His it's uh Fred the Third owns it. Yes. It's his fam his family owns it. Ed and the kids were loaded into red, white, and blue Greyhound buses and escorted to the Santa Rosa Correctional Institute that was nearby for food, clothes, and health evaluation, which, like, fine. 
I mean, I think it was a prison, mm-hmm. but it was just cl- like a lot. It was just a better option than wherever the um, hospital would have been, I guess. Mm-hmm. Four hours later, around 4 a.m., the Greyhound buses pulled into an alley behind the police station back in Chowchilla. Ed was the last one off the bus, and he was met by a horde of reporters. His wife got out in front of him. Her name was Odessa, and she was great. <laughs> His wife got out in front of him and said that Aww. he would only speak about what would happen if there were no questions. Ed was exhausted. He hadn't slept in days, and he had spent the last four hours answering the FBI's questions. This is what he had to say. We was ordered down into the van, buried in the rock. They give us a flashlight. It was dark down there. All we had to eat was a couple of bags, tater chips and Cheerios. They put a couple of mattresses and box springs in there for us to sit on. We took the flashlight and signed it around. Me and a couple older kids figured the only way out was the way we came in, but we didn't have no ladder. And then we said this part before, but they worked together and they got it off. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was an unexpected miracle. The fact that any of them survived, because if they were down there for a couple Holy more hours, shit. they they would have ran out of air. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily everyone survived and, you know, there weren't any crazy physical injuries, nothing more than scrapes and bruises and dehydration. But it was said that every single person was affected like with anxiety and PTSD from the young. Oh God. Yeah. I was just about to say every single one of them, except maybe Ed. And I don't know if it's true, but Ed says he was okay. Mm Mm-hmm. The townsfolk, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not Ed, but I, know. I couldn't tell you. The townsfolk weren't celebrating just yet, though, because nobody knew who the kidnappers were, where they were, or if they would strike again. Quote, to this day, it's unclear exactly what the kidnappers did after they left Ed Ray and a busload of kids buried alive. We can piece together parts of it. Everything is breathtakingly stupid. End quote. <laughs> and the reason we don't know about it is because um these are incredibly wealthy boys and they got good lawyers Mm -hmm. so this is what was going on with them on friday night when word started to spread that the children were missing rick was back at fred ford's estate he was nervous and he just wasn't cut out for a life of crime There were also a handful of calls between the three of them after they found out the children had escaped and they had decided it was all best to boogie. Jim and Fred Four sped off into the night in a 1963 Chrysler towards the trailer in Reno to hide out until the coast was clear and then they would go for their final escape to Canada. But Rick went home. He knew, he'd already knew he'd be turning himself in and confessed his crimes to his dad. On July 19th, Police found the kidnappers abandoned vans. Mm-hmm. By July 22nd, Fred the fourth was officially a suspect and the brothers Schoenfeld weren't far behind because the three had been arrested together two years before for joyriding. After, okay. After the estate was raided, Fred the third told reporters, quote, I can't tell if I have one son or 10 sons, end quote. His ailing mother then emerged from her sickbed to ask reporters for Lana Turner's address so she could write her a letter. Rich people are just fucked up, I think. Is um That's uh, yeah. 
-hmm. That's pretty unhinged in a multi-million dollar way. (laughs) Your son convinced his two (laughs) shithead friends to kidnap a bus full of children and then they buried them all underground. Yes. Left them to die. And you say, your response is, I can't say if I have one son or ten sons. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. You know how many sons you have. This isn't, there's not an issue about how many sons he has. We're just talking about one. Whether he has others doesn't matter. Yeah, why are you bringing these up to this lady? Because he's insane. They're all just crazy. They're all just deranged rich people. I don't know. Maybe they were nice. Who who can say? By July 23rd, I know. By July 23rd, the undelivered ransom note was found. It claims they were members of a satanic cabal called Beelzebub, but they spelled it wrong. And it mentions Fred by name. Fucking rubes. (laughs) (laughs) Rick had turned himself in, flanked by his dad and his attorney, but the hunt was still on for Jim and Fred Four. Sightings were called in from as far away as Tennessee, and those were legit. They were legitimately in Tennessee um, at one point. After stopping in Reno um, at the safe house uh, again, Fred had flown up to Vancouver using his phony passport, leaving Jim behind. Mm -hmm. Jim fled to Idaho because it was close to the Canadian border, but when he tried to cross on July 18th, he was turned away by Border Patrol because he was too nervous. And he had a car full of guns. But oh, that, don't that, worry. That could have been in that, yeah. Don't worry. It wasn't illegal. He just couldn't cross the border. So then he goes to sell the guns. Uh, and he sells all of the guns and then tries to cross the border again in Spokane, Washington. But he managed to miss four guns when he looked Uh. through the car four guns to sell so he failed to cross the border for a third time and eventually gave up he just decided to go home and on the way home he was pulled over id'd and arrested (laughs) in the meantime fred four was just hanging out in vancouver in a hotel room and he was apparently annoying the shit out of the hotel manager. He wrote a letter to his screenwriter friend, David, telling him that his crime would make a good movie of the week, if not a feature. (gasps) This letter would prove to be damning evidence later. (laughs) Royal, uh, just these idiots just keep writing it down. It's so great. Putting their shit in writing. I know. Royal Canadian Mounted Police staked out the main Vancouver post office. They knew Fred Four had been sending letters under the name Richard Snyder. Um, They waited and waited and finally sprang into action, only to mistakenly tackle two German students. Eventually, though, they saw Fred Four. He walked in, checked his mail, didn't get any, turned around to leave and walked right into custody, to quote the Vox article. It was finally over. There was a a day dedicated to Ed and the kids called Ed Ray and Children's Day. Oh, it it even rhymes. I know. Ed Ray and Children's Day. But it was held and it went off without a hitch. There was a parade. Ed rode in a float down Robertson Boulevard to the fairgrounds with all the kids who kept hugging him. 
There was a prayer. There was a country feast. There was a marching band. There were multiple marching bands. There was an equestrian unit. And there were lots of plaques and donations. Um, a year later, on July 25th, 1977, um, Woods and the Schoenfelds pled guilty to 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom without inflicting bodily injury. However, there were five additional charges that involved inflicting bodily injury that they refused to plead guilty to because they carried a mandatory life without parole sentence. So all three went to trial for the five kidnapping of for ransom by inflicting bodily injury. And it was a long legal battle. At first it was upheld uh, or no, they were found guilty um, and the reason they didn't want to do it because of the mandatory sentence. So essentially the only purpose of the trial was to see if they could litigate a possibility of parole, essentially. They lost at first, but Ed Ray was there the day they pled guilty, though. And as he left the court, he said, quote, now I'm ready to party it up tonight, end quote. <laughs> Good Ed, Ed. Ed. At trial, Ed and the children testified. Believe it or not, every single one of the 27 kidnapping victims had serious emotional trauma from the event that they got to keep for the rest of their lives. So at least that's Yay. Right. The conviction on the bodily harm charges was eventually overturned. Over the years, um, with constant legal maneuvering, they all became eligible for parole. They were all resentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Rick Schoenfeld was released in 2012 and Jim Schoenfeld mm. in 2015. While in prison, Fred Ford did just fine. After his parents, he inherited their entire estate. I mean, he only shared it with his sister, but she was, she had Down syndrome and she was institutionalized. So, oh, yeah, essentially, so. Yeah. so he essentially inherited their entire estate. While in prison, he ran a car dealership. Um, and a Christmas tree lot, um, from prison, which was not illegal. Um, I don't know. Um, but he did it. And, um, apparently you can run a business from jail in California, but you have to tell the warden. Um, and he did not, but he also got caught with porn and cell phones a lot, which extended his sentence and got him denied parole. Also over the years, he never, he, it, he didn't really take full responsibility for what he did. He did. He, mm -hmm. he didn't think that what he did, uh, like there was, it was like a victimless crime or something, but I just don't understand how you get to that, um, line of logic, but I mean, you're rich and you've never had consequences. So that, that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, though he did buy himself a nice little mansion, uh, while he was in jail. Fred the fourth was granted parole at his 18th parole hearing on March 25th, 2022. March 25th, 2022. That's why I thought you might've known about this. Cause this has been in the no. news for like the last two weeks. Yeah. Or last week. Okay. All right. Well, he was and, granted parole. Yeah. And that's the story. I doubt he's going to do this again. But like, um, no, I mean, he's like in his 70s. Yeah, exactly. Story of the Chowchilla bus kidnapping. Chowchilla bus kidnapping. Yeah. Shit, miss. Those yeah. poor kids. That's what I keep thinking I about. Know. I know. It's horrible. It's really bad. Just a never ending stream Shit. of traumas. I know. And like every time they were up for parole, they had to go through it again. And like now, I mean, they're all like adults in their. Mm -hmm. 
you know, 50s now, at least. And probably just like super fucked up. Yeah. Hopefully not. Some of them were, some of them, a lot of them were okay eventually, you know, over time. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, nobody had a great time. Um, But yeah, so Children's Day, Ed Ray and Children's Day, I believe is still something that they celebrate in uh, Chowchilla. If not, they still have all the plaques and stuff um, up around town. You know, it's a terrible story, but it's also, you know, Ed really is like the epitome of like that small town hero. He just like. Absolutely. He just like refused to like, he didn't understand why he was called a hero. He didn't understand why. I mean, this was like a guy who'd never really um, left the area. And he had, he would say things Mm -hmm. like, he would say things like the hard jobs are my hobby, (laughs) like around like the ranch or like a farm or something like, and he was mostly illiterate and he was just a very humble guy. He thought it was nice, but he really, you know, he didn't get it. He died in 2012. Um, He was nice and old and had a good long life. So, well, I'm glad that he had a good long life and he definitely was a fucking hero. He, he, he was, he really, without him, those kids would have really had a much worse time. I don't know that without him, they would have fared as well, to be Mm -hmm. honest, like, because the kids, they were pretty motivated. Um, the older kid, Mike, he was quoted as saying, um, he's not going to die without trying to get out. So, I mean, they were going to try, they were going to do what they could, but without his strength, mm-hmm. I don't know that they would have been able to get those hundred pound. I mean, there was a steel plate with two 100 pound batteries on top. That's hundreds of pounds. And I mean, 15, you can be pretty strong and I mean, 14, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm glad well, that thanks for telling me out. that because I, I, again, didn't know much about it. Well, yeah, well, um, say you're welcome to your nightmares. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if I should be thanking you or not for this Please. story, but yeah. What do you have for me? <laughs> do you have anything nicer? Uh, no, because no. um, remember how I said there are deaths <laughs> in mine? Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. good, and good. I'm glad you're ready because... This is a different this is a different vibe to your story. And in the realm of spoopiness, it's in the medical spoop. It's the medical, medical unexplained. Spoop. Medical spoop. All right. I might have to phone a friend, ask my my family members what their medical spoop knowledge is. Well, all right. And um, we also want to, uh, before, uh, before I get into it, go ahead and give us a five star <laughs> review, por favor, pretty Money, please. please. That would be please. awesome. Money, please. Yeah. Um, so here we are. Here we are. So my story today, like I said, it's a medical mystery. That's okay. right. Is it me? Am I the topic? No. <laughs> Not this episode, but yes, we can make a whole mini series off of you. Settings in an operating room. Ew. By the time this story is over, one person will be dead. 23 people will be sickened. Out of those, five will require hospitalization and we'll all be none the wiser. (gasps) Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're going to okay. walk away from it, not knowing sh- anything definitive. I'm wondering yeah. if I might know what this is. Okay, go on. Oh, okay. So, yeah, well, here we are. We are in 1994. We're uh-huh. in Riverside, California. Yep. And we're going to be talking about Gloria Ramirez, otherwise known as the Toxic Lady. Yes, I love this story. I love yeah. this story. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm so excited. Okay. I have not thought about this story in a long time, but it's so crazy. It's so crazy. So it was any kind of normal day at the Riverside General Hospital. It was mm-hmm. evening time. It was around 8.15. The doors to the yep. ER swing open as paramedics bring in the patient. She's female. Ooh. She looks to be in her early 30s. Dark hair, glasses, with a beauty mark on her cheek. She was extremely confused and her speech was slurring and she was suffering from tachycardia and Chine mm-hmm. Stokes respiration. I think I said that correctly. What is that? So tachycardia is basically a heart rate which exceeds the normal resting rate, which is around 100 beats per minute. So a high heart rate. And, mm-hmm. and then the Chine Stokes mm-hmm. or Chain Stokes respiration mm-hmm. is an abnormal pattern of breathing, cycling between periods of apnea, so no breath, to no slow breath. breaths, up to fast breath, back to slow, then to apnea. So, so. irregular patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the nurses started to administer sedatives like diazepam, midazolam, and lorazepam, <laughs> lidocaine, and brettilium. Uh, which were all standard sedation practices for people experiencing okay. her symptoms. They were trying to get her breathing and heart rate to slow down so they could help regulate it. They were also using one of those ambi bags over her mouth to regulate her breathing. To breathe for her. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she was not responding to this treatment, so the staff mm-hmm. then tried to defibrillate her heart. And upon okay. removing her shirt... Some of the nurses noticed some kind of oily sheen covering Ramirez's skin. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And then some other nurses kind of started noticing a kind of fruity, but also garlicky odor that was beginning to waft around. Fruity garlic. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> Sounds like brunch. Fruity Is that garlic. some kind of great body lotion <laughs> that these nurses weren't aware of? Or like was the smell and that kind of like Just oily sheen connected in any way? They were getting kind of confused at this. Yeah. Like, that's weird. Because they that's had, weird. I mean, I, they had like no idea what was wrong with her at this point. So. Not at all. They brought her in. She was basically wasn't breathing right. And she had a, a strange heartbeat. But she was also like kind of confused. So she wasn't articulating what she she was experiencing. Right. She couldn't explain what was going on. Yeah. 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 And so uh, registered nurse, Susan Kane had Mm. swabbed Ramirez's arm with alcohol, inserted a catheter and attached a syringe to extract blood. And this is where shit starts to get weird. Cause up until this point, nothing was really, as we were just saying, truly out Mm. of the ordinary with this kind of ear visit. So right. as the syringe was being filled, Nurse Kane noticed a kind of chemically smell to her body, mm-hmm. a kind of chemical odor. 
so Kane handed the syringe that she had drew the blood from to nurse Welch, who was also in the operating room, and mm-hmm. leaned closer to the patient, Gloria, to try and like kind of again sniff where out like to kind of sniff where, out where, where the source the of this odor from? is. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of had a smell like ammonia. Smell? You know, it's it's oh. honestly like it's been very confusing. They weren't able to like pinpoint what the smell was and where it was coming from. Or if it mattered. Yeah. Or if it mattered. Um, so she took a big whiff and then she passed mm-hmm. a syringe that had the, the, the blood in it to Julie Korchinski, who was a medical resident. And that's okay, when the doctor? a resident. Yeah. I'm assuming that's yeah. doctor, right? Okay. From Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> And then Do not Julie, let my family know that's where you get your information from. <laughs> yeah. And then Julie, while looking at the blood in the syringe, noticed that, get this, there were manila colored particles floating around in that woman's blood. In the blood sample that she had in just taken? In the blood that, yep, in the blood that they had just extracted from her body. And like it had gold that kind of stuff. Like gold? I flakes? guess so. Yeah, it has a good, uh, that's a good analogy, but instead of clear, <laughs> it's blood. And instead blood of gold like- leaf, it's something entirely not gold. So in those few seconds, Nurse uh-huh. Kane, who's the first uh-huh. one, she she just straight up fainted. Oh, no. What? She sh- dropped to the ground like a sack of potatoes. Uh- and then... Resident Gorchinski, then uh, uh-huh. she herself started to feel nauseated and complaining of lightheadedness. So she was like, uh, so she, she was able to walk out, out of the OR and she found oh, a nurse okay. desk and she went to go take a seat. And okay. between the time someone walked over to check on her, that's when yeah. she also fainted and slumped down at her chair. So that's two people that have fainted so far. Dang. For no re- for they and they have no idea why. And this is within minutes, you know, of her entering the OR or the ER. And two medical professionals have fainted. That's yep. very uncommon. And Gorchinsky started shaking intermittently as she was passed out. She would stop breathing. Then she would start taking some shallow breaths and then kind of stop breathing again. And wow. it was kind so of was similar. Whatever was happening to the patient was happening now to her. It, it definitely appeared that way. Absolutely. I don't remember that part. Okay. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Gorchinsky gets the worst of this. Does she? Oh. Yeah. And then Nurse Welch, who was the other uh, nurse um, in the story, she's a respiratory therapist. She passed Funny. the F out to a third what? nurse just fainted. That's insane. I know. And so after th- after Welch collapsed, several other staff members began to, uh, to say that they were feeling ill. And that's when hospital what? administrators declared an internal emergency. And the uh, operating room was ordered to evacuate. And all emergency room patients were supposed to evacuate as well to the parking lot because, like, what the what? fuck? We just had three people in quick succession just drop Three employees. Yeah. Okay. So basically lockdown. Yeah. And there was a skeleton crew that really courageously mm-hmm. stayed behind to try and um, help this woman, Gloria Ramirez, their efforts ultimately were not able to help mm-hmm. her. And so at eight fifty, she was pronounced dead. And what time and did she get in there? 
around 8.15. So in about 35 God. minutes. And like five people just dropped. Yeah. So here we are. We're outside in the parking lot and there were hospital staff treating, you know, the ER patients, but also mm-hmm. now their colleagues too. God, that's horrible. Um. Gorchinsky, she was the one that um, fainted at the nurse mm-hmm. desk. She continued to experience tremors and then apnea. Nurse what? Kane still would have her arms kind of flail out and kick, um, and her legs would kick out, and her face was red and hot. Is this like a nerve agent? Sounds like a crazy. It sounds like a crazy anthraxy bullshit story. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Wow. Meanwhile, Sally Balderas was a mm-hmm. vocational nurse. She was part of that skeleton crew to go back inside okay. to take care of Ramirez. And okay. they brought her body into an isolation room. And so Sally, yeah. after bringing in her body, began retching and feeling burning sensations on her skin after uh, coming in contact with the body. Oh, in scary. all, there were about 27 employees in that ER at the time not to mention Gloria, the patient, and 23 crew members had experienced some sort of symptomatic response after coming in contact with Gloria Ramirez. Five of them needed to be hospitalized overnight. What? Yeah. Sally Balderas um, endured bouts of apnea during her 10-day hospitalization. That's serious. And Gorchinsky, who I said um, earlier, she Uh was the most severely ill. She spent two weeks in the ICU. In addition to her apnea, she then was suffering from hepatitis, pancreatitis, and avascular necrosis. Avascular necrosis is a condition in which your bone tissue is starved of blood, and then it kind of begins to die out. In her case... That necrosis was attacking her knees, so she was then restricted to crutches for months afterwards, too. Who the fuck knows what's going on right now? But they have no idea No, it's causing it at all. No ideas. No. And no. also, please, and I know that I know this story, but I promise my surprise is completely genuine because mm-hmm. I know that there was a woman who went to the hospital and other people got sick. That's what I know about yeah. the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, around 11 o'clock that night, that's when a hazmat team uh, was able to assemble. They got to the hospital and they began looking for this culprit that was causing these nurses to faint. And, this, right. and because it was some kind of, it had to be some kind of chemical or some kind of gas or vapor. Something in the and air, so what, right? Because they were breathing it in. That's the only thing that right. makes sense to and me. And they were searching for things like hydrogen sulfide, which is called a sewer gas because of its kind of rotten smell to it. Um, okay. It's very dangerous and it can definitely kill people within a couple of whiffs. Wow. Okay. They, so they were looking for that. They were also searching for phosgene, which is a gas used in manufacturing. Again, okay. dangerous if it's inhaled. But okay. they didn't find anything of the sort. Nothing? Nothing came up in their tests to denote that there was a noxious chemical around. How infuriating. How infuriating, especially to the uh, people stricken that evening. The Riverside coroner's office 
whose pathologists were now left with the, you know, fun task of performing an autopsy on Gloria Ramirez. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, They're like, okay, so so um, five people almost died just being around this body. Um, so now you get to do an autopsy on it. Good luck. Goodbye. You, you go ahead and figure that out and so don't die. Figure it out. Um, I hope you don't die. Don't care if you do. Goodbye. Yeah. But uh, they did. They strapped on, you know, what kind of looked like airtight moon suits, really, and uh, yeah, began yeah. their examination. Then afterwards, they emerged 90 minutes later with samples of her blood and tissue, mm-hmm. along with okay. air samples from the body bag that the body was in. And they had put Gloria's body in an aluminum crate. Okay. The coroner's office remained tight-lipped about the analysis that happened in the days that followed. But one thing, however, was certain. The Riverside coroner still, still hadn't found anything remarkable about that evening. What? They, they like, just... Like, didn't her blood have, like, gunk in it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what did you say the gunk was? I, I can't... I can't speak to that question, but I know that they took blood samples. I guess that they just didn't observe what those nurses said that they observed. And so like, it's so weird. So again, no questions have been really truly answered yet. And to go back a little bit to uh, Miss Gloria Ramirez, I just wanted to say to like, so she was 31 at the time of her death and she was unfortunately battling a severe form of late stage cervical cancer. And that's why she initially called 911 that night because of complications that she was experiencing. But again, Um, how did her body end up creating those materials? So in September of 1994, nearly seven months after the toxic lady came in contact with that medical staff, the health department released its official report. They said that, Ramirez died from cervical cancer. Well, complications to that. Technically, her kidneys had failed. But she died from cervical cancer and nothing else. What? They said, and get into this gig. Get into this gig. Uh, I'm in it. The report said the emergency room victims were found to be free of um, any explicable medical causes. And they were determined to have suffered from a mass sociogenic illness triggered by this kind of odor that they smelled a mass they made it up sociogenic illness they what, made like it mass up. hysteria are you yes. saying like mass hysteria yes it's like a there was form of mass nothing, hysteria yeah so so there was nothing wrong but everybody had these real physical documented reactions you know, these trained medical professionals that, you know, this is their day job. And for some reason, right. there was a mass hysterical event. And and here's the fun it. part. They were all women. And, well, not all of them, but oh, most of them were so women. Oh, so they were just hysterical. Okay. The, the, they the, were just the stupid women. set them off. And these They were like tiny literally hashtag copyright hysterical. <laughs> TM. Yeah, these tiny brained ladies Doctors couldn't and handle. Nurses. Yes. Yeah, couldn't take it. These tiny brained doctors and so, nurses. Oh. And what year is this? The early 90s, right? 
1994. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sure it was quite adorable what came out after that. So with that explanation being offered as the official mm-hmm. health department response to it, uh, Dr. Gorchinsky, she was like, can you kindly fuck off? I'm going to oh, sue you. So she did. She filed <gasps> a $6 million dollar lawsuit against the hospital because A, Good. she denied having been affected by mass hysteria because she was like, um, Ooh, hello. Hysterical. No. Yep. Um, hepatitis, pancreatitis. I, uh, my knees have like how failed out. Get, how did she get hepatitis? If you are a medical professional <laughs> listening, can you answer that for uh, us, please? I know a lot of medical We're just lowly podcasters. Yeah, I know a lot of medical professionals, and I have a feeling we're going to come back empty-handed on this one. There was another leading theory, which has a little uh-huh. more scientific okay. tooth bite to it, okay. but it still bite. doesn't okay. explain fully and properly all what had been reported that evening. So another... Okay. So this scenario posits that, and again, I tell you, there's a lot of science talk ahead and I ain't no scientist. So no follow-up questions, okay. miss. <laughs> um, I w- make no promises. You know, I don't like a little bit of information. <laughs> <laughs> so their breakthrough came from gas chromatograph mass spectrometer analysis of the samples sure. from Ramirez that was taken. And wow. also from something called the headspace, which is uh, air between where the sample is uh-huh. and so like the, top the, of the lid container? of a container. Yes, that okay. headspace, that open space. The spectrometer okay. showed one surprising thing that couldn't really be accounted for by the drugs that Ramirez had been given, which was okay. a concentration of dimethyl sulfone. Now, oh, what's that? Dimethyl sulfone is one oxygen atom away from a similar chemical, dimethyl sulfoxide, which is okay. commonly called DMSO. DMSO is sold as a gel in hardware stores as a kind of powerful degreaser. Uh. And Athletes can also use it too because apparently it has sore muscle aches and pains kind of qualities to it. Like an icy hot. I think so. Okay. Yeah, and um, it's not apparently it's not oily. It was, and it had a kind of sheen to it. So they are saying that's probably what she was rubbing herself on because as. A sufferer of cancer. She was experiencing pain. So she was rubbing this on her body. Okay. Again, it's not healthy for you really, but people do it anyway. Okay. And it's supposed to take, it's supposed to be for pain relief. Yes. But that wouldn't explain what the hell happened in that evening. But the hypothesis continues to surmise that like when the paramedics gave Ramirez oxygen in the ambulance, the okay. high oxygen concentration that was then in her blood uh-huh. would have combined with the DMSO that she was, you know, allegedly self-administering, which was, 
which would form the dimethyl sulfone that was they had oh. you know seen in their their kind of um, tests at the lab afterwards. But here's the so thing: Ramirez's family like insisted a... that she did not take DMSO. What the hell is the truth here? But then again, so I really don't know. No, they really don't know. Yeah, but like that to me also kind of seems like hearsay. I don't know. The like, yeah. how do we know she did not take DMSO? I mean, you know, did um, her family live with her? I mean, did they have reason to know that she used it or didn't I, use it? I mean, she was, she was, I, I mean, guess. you said she had terminal cancer. I mean, I think at that point, even if something but, is not healthy. And moreover to, yeah, to add on to the DMSO um, hypothesis that in the lab, when they um, took syringes of her blood and the blood was cooled to below body temperature in the syringe, in the lab... Right they had noticed white crystals that had been forming on in the blood. That so can't be normal. That cannot be normal. <laughs> but the problem, again, with this whole theory is that the dimethyl sulfone wouldn't mm-hmm. have hurt anyone. So there's um, no theories? So there's no theories remaining? <laughs> Well, the problem is that uh, dimethyl sulfone wouldn't have hurt anyone, uh, but you know this is where it's still unexplained. So, if some of the dimethyl sulfone molecules had been broken down in the bloodstream, they would have combined to form dimethyl sulfate. Now, that okay. is a powerful nerve gas that does produce symptoms oh. that were explanatory about the um, ER staff. It can even cause hepatitis and pancreatitis. So some people do find this kind of dimethyl sulfone into dimethyl sulfate to not really hold a lot of water though. Um, And again, I ain't no scientist, so I ain't know the, like, I do not know how that works. Yeah. You could tell me it's ghost and I'd have to believe it's a possibility. Yes. (laughs) I don't know Nobody knows. So by by November, People Magazine had reported that the mystery of this kind of toxic lady was mm-hmm. solved. They were reporting that the DMSO what? was now the ultimate cause. Oh, they were saying this okay. was the case. People Magazine was on it. Yes, People Magazine was on that shit. Okay. And those okay. were the two main theories as to how or why this happened. One has scientific components to it, of course, we were just talking about, which sure. has some truth to it. But it, from my reading of the whole story, not all of that really connects together well. And it doesn't fit into nice scientific boxes to explain sure. what happened. Uh, but also at the same time, the other hypothesis was a mass hysteria event. I don't know if I buy it. Hard to believe. Exactly. I mean, listen, it's certainly not impossible. There have been uh-huh. events that have been mass hysteria, but I also think that when people can't find an answer that's neat and uh-huh. clean and fits in a nice box, I think it's really easy to say, um, well, you know, this is mass hysteria 
you know, there's no other reason for it. There's no, these women were overworked and they were reacting to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think it's really easy to do that in any situation to just start. I don't think it's fair to just dismiss people like that. I don't think. Oh, that, absolutely. I agree. I do not think that all of these people on an otherwise average work day um, just suddenly became all came down with mass hysteria when a one mm-hmm. average patient came in. Um, yep. I don't buy it. Um, I'll buy it. And it sucks. No, nobody kind of wins in the situation. The family sure. of Gloria Ramirez was not handled well by the powers that be at the time. You know, they yeah. felt like they were dismissed as we were just saying. Yep. The family wasn't able to get a second autopsy really done. They were able to get some kind of investigation with mm. what was left of her body. There were so yeah, many I mean, parts of her that were either decomposed or were not there for her, them yeah. to be examined. I remember they were like missing, right? Her heart was missing. Yeah. How thorough of an investigation really can you, especially if you were coming into the um, the ER with heart-related right. symptoms. Right. So in April of 1994, about 10 weeks after her death, that's mm-hmm. when Gloria Ramirez's body was released and she was finally able to be buried by the family in Riverside, California. And for the last 28 years, there's been no final answer. One place will tell you one thing. Another place might tell you the other thing. A family might be completely wrong. You know, there's no no explanation that is fully clean for, for this story. Yeah. And right. that's the story of Gloria Ramirez, the toxic lady. Gosh, that's so crazy. I'm so glad you did that story. I haven't thought about that in so long. And like I said, I didn't remember most of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I didn't realize so many people were affected and how deeply they were affected. Like the yeah. doctor, like experiencing symptoms like a year later or mm-hmm. months later. Um, that's, that's just wild. I mean, to look at like your colleague, like this, this, person you work with and say, oh, your hepatitis is just mass hysteria. Just like your How do pancreatitis. How you look at them and say like, that? Like you have to use crutches because it's all in your head because you're just a silly hysterical woman. Like, excuse like me, but what the fuck are you talking about? There is a reason for it. And just because first off, fuck you. Second off, how dare you? But like, just because you don't know what the answer is, that doesn't mean you get to dismiss people. Just say you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. That's not like, that's of course people want answers, but to, to have the answer be, Oh, it's just a crazy case of mass hysteria again. Um, it's just lazy. It's incompetent. But, you know, that's my so, personal. Yeah, babe. That's our, that's, 
that's the story. Personal podcast opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And I liked your story. Well, not in the sense of the contents of the story. Oh, wow. So you just like it when kids get kidnapped? Isn't that, wow. Isn't that breaking Yeah, or the overall conclusions of it. I didn't like that. Like, so I'm just, you know. Wow. But I like that you told it. See and I, I like you. Colors. <laughs> and they're school bus yellow. Oh, too oh, soon. And it's dirt road brown. Oh. oh. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. It was, I'm so glad. I had glad. a lot of fun. I really missed seeing you. We have to get better at speaking to each other outside of the show because I think we're saving everything for the show. I was just going to say that not, we are saving and we it. Do, and we don't really speak to each other unless it's about and, the And show. that's such a funny concept because most of the stuff that you and I will talk about is not podcast friendly. So no. what are we, what are we doing? What are we? Okay. Well, miss, miss, where can they find us? can find us um, on social media at creepy inquiries pod. You can mm-hmm. email us um, with any questions or suggestions or yell at us um, for any corrections um, at creepy inquiries pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. if you could give us a cute little rate and review wherever mm-hmm. you're listening to your podcast, it's always really nice. Um, five stars. Wow. It's so great. I love it. That would be cool. Um, that was a quote from me, but it's real. Leave your own review. Did yeah. I miss anything? Well said. <laughs> nice. Well rambled. Well, well rambled, my love. <laughs> well, it was. Uh, uh, I'm glad we had another lovely episode today. And I do of so course. enjoy your company. And I look forward to spending more time with you and the, our listeners next week. The week after that. And the week after that. Nauseam. Thank you everyone for listening and we will catch yeah. you on the flip side. Yeah. Alright, y'all. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.